Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. It's a new year, but it's the same old Spurs, and we're back to talk about a comfortable victory against Bournemouth and then take a look back at probably one of the more volatile years, uh, not just our fan- Spurs fandom, but probably Spurs in general um, in 2023. But before that, don't, don't forget to leave us a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify and follow us on Twitter at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. Now that that's out of the way, let me introduce my co-host. He's ringing in the new year with a resolution to bully at least one player off the team. It's Ben Daniels. Ben, have you harassed uh, Brennan Johnson on social media in 2024 uh, yet? Brennan Johnson is not the guy I would bully off the team, to be fair. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> we need to abort. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I'd probably bully Oliver Skip out of here before oh, okay. I bully Brennan Johnson. I thought it was going to go. Um, what, what do you think I was going to say? <laughs> what do you think I think you thought you were going to say? I don't know. I thought, I I thought Manor Solomon... I thought Manor Solomon was about to become a topic. Oh, of no, that's a good, that's a better answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Really should have made something else up I there. I forgot um, he existed. Yeah, you know? well, you know, that might be about to change. Um, ben, how did you ring in um, the new year? How did you how did you celebrate in the wake of our 3-1 victory against Bournemouth? Uh, like, actually? Like, what did I actually do for New Year's Eve? Or are you looking for something pithier about yeah, Spurs? you know, <laughs> where, wherever the, the desire <laughs> takes you. Um, yeah, actually, I just sort of did a house party thing. It was low-key and chill. That's more entertaining than what I did, so good for what you. Did, what did you do? Go to bed at 9.30? I, yeah, no, I, I didn't, but we watched like three episodes of Only Murders in the Building, and then my wife went to bed, and then I stayed up till midnight and went to bed after that. So, very, uh, very dad, uh, <laughs> um, New Year's. Uh, next up, uh, my next co-host, uh, there is an NDA stopping him from discussing what he did on New Year's Eve, but I can tell you it involved Inter-Miami, a set of snowshoes, and a snuff film from Eric Dyer's private collection. It's Brian Ashlock. You forgot <laughs> the helicopter. NDA is not doing any work. <laughs> and yeah. I didn't sign First it. of all, you're going to be hearing from my attorneys. <laughs> uh, and second of all, you left out the helicopter. Uh, um, yes, yes. But yeah, exactly. So, Hi. Did you make it out alive of your uh, New Year's Eve? Was it? I'm here, aren't I? Oh, that's I mean, fair. that's fair point. That's a fair you know, point. Any, any you guys New can't New see Eve? the cast on my leg, but otherwise, <laughs> I am here. Is it made of plaster? Uh, who's who's to, who can say? It's suspiciously longer than my other leg, but just don't ask those questions. <laughs> I, I would I would ask what you did for New Year's Eve, but I know that uh, you know <laughs> there's there's many binding agreements that prevent you from saying so. We, we'll, right, we'll, we'll move on. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Brian uh, running afoul of the ATF is not the only thing that happened on New Year's Eve. Uh, Tottenham beat Bournemouth 3-1 uh, to one to uh, exit, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, one of the more tumultuous years in Spurs' recent history. Um, this was a very up-and-down performance, and I think especially in contrast with the Brighton game um, that happened a few days previously, it begs the question, um, was this a good performance from Spurs? 
or have we been playing badly and just got lucky this week? Ben, um, you know, I know you like to keep, uh, you know, the positive perspective on Spurs. So I'm curious what you think of this. I mean, I think, you know, good or bad isn't really right. It was an uneven performance. It was a game of, you know, several phases. There were some injuries and substitutes that, you know, had a lot of impact. Um, in a lot of respects, we got lucky. The scoreline certainly, I think, flattered us a bit. Uh, Burnmouth were better than that. Um, but yeah, it was good enough to get the job done. <laughs> Ryan, were you happy with what we did against Bournemouth? Yeah, I mean, look, we, we've we had some results in the past, you know, couple of months where we've played well and then not gotten anything out of those games. You know, Aston Villa, um, uh, the Wolves game, like, you know, well, maybe the Wolves game, not so much, but, you know, uh, Aston Villa at least. And, and, and so to play only about like 30, 35 minutes of a good game in, in this and, and, and come away with a three, one win is, uh, that's great. Yeah. I think, I mean, obviously in this game, there's, I mean, with all frankly Spurs recent performance, there's a lot of mitigating factors, namely the players we were missing. And, you know, I thought in particular watching how we played when Bentancourt came back, and especially when Sar was in the team, I think you could see the difference. And, you know, I do think a big part of the drop off in this game was Sar coming off. I think if, you know, if he'd been able to play 60, 70 minutes, this would have been a very different game. But it honestly made me feel a lot better about Spurs' recent run of form because I just think you could instantly see how much we picked up when he was in there. And it makes you think of like, well, what's this? What, how much more efficient is this attack going to look when Madison's in there helping us sort of carve open defenses or at least take risks sort of higher up the pitch? How good is our, like how many fewer chances are we going to um, concede when you've got Van Deven back there to mop stuff up um, when you've got Romero back in there before he gets his, you know, next red card, um, you know, how's it good? I, I, it made me feel a lot better about, cause I think it's easy to tell yourself a story about, you know, Oh, well, Maybe we're just coming back down to earth. Maybe these players aren't as important as they are. But no, sometimes it really is as simple as it seems. And in this case, I think, you know, our missing players tell maybe not all the story, but a lot of the story. Yeah, I mean, we have been, as we all know, catastrophically unlucky with injury. And we have gone through a period where I think we all thought it was going to be a lot worse, especially how badly it began. And here we are, three points out of first, point out of the top four. Like, this is as good of a place you could hope for going into the spring uh you know with van Deven and romero scheduled to be back for if not burnley on friday then man U at the weekend um or whenever that game is and madison sometimes soonish you know Brent, Brentford, I, mean, I think is the word this week is what we're hearing okay so yeah i mean that's that's very soon and like we'll roll into february with a full squad and hopefully some reinforcements uh from the transfer window but yeah, I mean, the Bentoncourt news was just like an un- unbelievable like lightning bolt out of nowhere. Like we were like hearing rumors that he might be on the bench and then all of a sudden he's starting. It's a it's just a big lift. I think. Oh, it was like a WrestleMania <laughs> return where they like, <laughs> yeah. lied about his injury timetable and he just so he could show up and surprise everyone. I think that this is I mean, I don't understand why teams don't do this more often, like where they just either lie or conceal a player's timetable because, you know, I think it was the extra inch you made the point um, that, you know, like they Bournemouth probably didn't plan on playing against Benton (laughs) and all of a sudden he's there. So 
you know, I don't know why more teams don't sort of, you know, fuck around with the news about returning players because it certainly worked here. He looked great, I thought. I mean, a little tentative, but, you know, especially compared to what we've had to trot out there with Oliver Skip and even, you know, who I think, Pierre uh, Hoybier, who I think has looked a lot. He hasn't looked awful, but, you know, I think he just, like, Bentancourt's so good. And I think it's easy to forget just how good he is until you see him in that midfield again. And, yeah, I mean, his one brief appearance was special <laughs> before he mm-hmm. got hurt again. Um, but yeah, I agree with your point. Like, I think they should roll the whole squad up to the touchline in wheelchairs and then just 11 guys stand up. Yep. And <laughs> that's your reveal. <laughs> good luck. Good luck planning for that. <laughs> Call an ambulance. For not, not, but not for me. Um yeah, it's, it's, God, it was nice seeing him back. And it, it really, like I said, it just makes me feel sort of better about where this team is going. And I know that seems obvious, but I think it's just easy to sort of, like, I, I definitely forgot just how good Bentoncourt was. Like, it's the kind of thing you know, but then you see it and it's like, oh, that's what we're missing. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, he's a, he's an important part of what this midfield can be. And, you know, we really haven't gotten to see it, but I think, you know, all summer we were talking about, you know, where does he fit into this? How does he, you know, how, how does Ange integrate him? And I, I think we all saw him playing kind of the SAR role in this midfield. Um, but SAR's played so well and done so well doing that role that, and, you know, we've had other injuries that now Bentoncourt is filling in in other places. And, you know, I still, I still think he's one of our three best midfielders, but like, I think his versatility to play basically all three roles in that midfield, um, you can just kind of chop and change with him and and rotate with, you know, Saar and Madison and even playing Kulisewski in the midfield and et cetera, et cetera. And, and so him being back now for, for when we are, you know, out, out, Basuma is out for AFCON Sar is gone for AFCON. Madison is still working his way back to, to full fitness, even though the Brentford game's not that far away. Um, you know, having him back right now is so important. I mean, especially not just taking like the minutes of the guys who are about to disappear, but taking skips minutes. Like you can just you can see what a difference that makes. It's it's night and day. Yeah. Uh, you know, I not to bag on Skip too much, but I mean, he was useless. Like the, I, I just, I think the, the role that he came on to play there, the saw role is like where he does the least harm to Spurs and like the overall structure. Um, I know we've talked about, um, and, and other Spurs podcasts have talked about, you know, him being the number six and, you know, that's the more natural fit for him. But like, I he just doesn't do any of that well. And so him coming on to play the SAR role is where he's like the least bad, but he's also just a whole lot of nothing there. And and man, we yeah, just he, really came under pressure once he came on. Yeah, putting him at the six means we're giving a lot of responsibility to a guy who's not very good. And when he's off, it punishes us badly. Like you said, this didn't punish us. Like the period where Skip was in for Bentancourt until Hoybeard came on, or I'm sorry, in for Sar until Hoybeard came on, was like easily the worst period, uh, you know, of, of the match. And he just does so little on and off the ball that 
It's it's like playing a man down, which we're very used to this season, so it's fine. Uh, but yeah, it's ugly. But it, it's become just a bigger problem with, I mean, it seems to me as if they're limiting Hoiberg's minutes. I would yeah, imagine I mean, probably we're think, trying to sell him yeah. whatever, but like selling Hoiberg is not going to bring in that much money. It's not that big a deal. But like, I, it, I would it, rather it, not throw away points to like preserve his health. If it's going to come in the car, like, I don't care. If you're bringing in a guy like like Gallagher, for instance, and I mean, all the reporting says this is an imminent and probably more likely in the summer. But if you're bringing in a guy like Gallagher and who, A, can sort of do some of the things Hoiberg does, takes up that role in the team, and, you know, the 20 million or whatever we get for Hoiberg finances it, then fine. But I don't think. But it doesn't finance it. Like, that's the thing. It's like the money's there. We have money. It's, it is a problem, I think, when those financial transfer shenanigan considerations bleed on to the on pitch considerations. And like, my that point is, is no, it is not. He's in the squad. He's here. He's available to play like, and should not be hamstrung and like playing a team because Daniel Levy wants to like, that's correct. You know, recoup 20 million. That's just, no, I don't care. I don't care no, enough about I'm, Daniel I'm saying, Levy's pocketbooks to like be willing to sacrifice points for it. The, and the only reason to sell him is if he facilitates bringing in like in the winter, at least. If it facilitates bringing in like either a like for like substance or a better midfielder who takes those minutes, like yeah, obviously if you're just trying to make twenty million in the winter window, like no, nah, that's not. No, I mean like, my point playing. is we can buy Gallagher regardless. If if Hoiberg sits on the bench for uh, half a season, if he doesn't get registered in the squad, like I don't care. Yeah, doesn't matter. If he's the best guy on the bench, just play him. Just please, for the love of God, I don't. So let's talk about midfielders who are good and going to be with Tottenham Hotspur in the long term. Um, I want to talk about Saar, who had a relatively limited cameo in this game, and he's about to go off to AFCON, which is sad for us, but, you know, good for him. Um, but I was, you know, after maybe, I mean, he came back from injury. I don't think blew me away, but I was really impressed with his sort of 20, 25-minute cameo in this game. Obviously, he went and bagged a goal, but I think you really sort of saw what he brings to this team in this match in particular. Yeah, I mean, he was really good. And, um, you know, I he, he's had a couple of games um, kind of in the last, you know, month or so where he's been off the pace or, um, you know, not really with it. Uh, but this was kind of a nice return to what we really saw at the beginning of the season from him. And, you know, I mean, he's still... Young, I mean, he's 21, I think about to be 22 this year. Like, you know, he he's he's still developing. And, you know, what he is right now is a Premier League starting midfielder. And, you know, uh, so so it's only up from here. And even if it's not that much up, it's still baseline pretty freaking good. Um, so yeah, I, I'm really happy with uh, what Sar did and, and to get his goal. I mean, it, it's going to be rough finding someone to play there um, in that position in January with the other people we have gone with the injuries, like it, I, the next couple games are going to be interesting. Welcome back. Oliver skip. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I do wonder, we'll talk about Lo Celso eventually. I'm sure. But like if, and is willing to try a Benton Corlo Celso Madison midfield, and if he or if he sees that as just a little too lightweight, but that is some nice passing in midfield. And, you know, Pentacore is robust enough and Lo Celso has been a defensive midfielder in another life. And maybe we can make that work. 
Um, I don't know. How are you feeling as the as the early SAR stock buyer many years ago and defending your league? Oh boy. Yeah, you know, look, yeah, he's I, I feel real teams. He's played real teams. I, I feel like I said that so many times on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Like he's like he's not a League One player. He's played. He's uh, he, well. He's a League One player, but you know the other. En français. En français. Yeah. So you know, I I, I feel really good about it because like this was a guy that when I br- when we brought him in, I was really excited about because like when we signed him, he was eighteen and. You know, he just finished a pretty solid season in a top flight. And, you know, it took, you know, a full season out on loan where he was just kind of okay. And then, you know, last year where we we didn't really use him very well. And, um, you know, I, I don't think any of us expected him to come in and play as well or as frequently under Ange. Um, and... And he he's been really good. I think we've talked multiple times about, you know, his presence um, really helping facilitate a lot of the other things that Ange's system wants us to do. Like he his ability on the ball, his range, his um, uh, his defensive positioning. It enables Pedro Porro to do some of the good stuff that he does. It allows, um, you know, Madison when he's healthy or or whoever the attacking option is to do. Uh, a lot more adventurous stuff like you know i th- i think he's a really key cog in what we're doing and yeah i feel i feel like the smartest guy in the world um but you know <laughs> i'm i'm sure there are other opinions that i've had like you know how good harry kane was or was not going to be that uh that i whiffed on so you know i feel like it just all kind of balances out you know i think i saw a stat about your old friend stephen fletcher the other day <laughs> oh really yeah, I think it's he was the his first hat trick in his 400th appearance in English league football, which I think makes him I think the oldest player to score his first hat trick. Oh, nice! <laughs> Something like he, that. Famous, he, famous for his goal scoring, much like Harry Kane. So he finally yeah. got there, Brian. Yeah, he and you Harry know, look Kane if. Steve- have- if Fletcher had gone to Bayern Munich instead of, you know, wherever he went in France, Marseille, I think, uh, it would have been fine. But getting back to Saar, the someone that you were right about, Brian, I, yes. I think one thing that's been so impressive, and it makes total sense because, you know, they're learning Ange's system. Of course, they're going to get better. But, you know, it's always impressive, I think, to see a player so young who really seems to sort of get it and grow in the season. And I thought, like, the goal was actually a really good example of how smart he was because when he first receives the ball there, I think it was Johnson on the right who sort of opened for a pass and there's no one really on him. And I remember as I was watching it, I'm like, like kick it out to Johnson. Come on, let's do it. And he holds the ball and he's, what he is is he's seeing that the Borderman defender is going to keep standing him off. He just, I'm gonna, he's going to keep giving him room. He's like, all right, well, if you're going to give it to me, I'm going to take it. And he's able to advance enough where he's able to, you know, I mean, I think one of the things that's really nice about Sarri that's in his locker is he, he can place a shot. He's, he's he, especially long distance shots. And it was just a really well taken goal that was sort of, you know, and, and I think it's one of the things you want to see, you know, of any players like they're, you're just going to take what they're going to give you. And the, the, he sort of had that recognition, I thought was really smart. And he's just grown with his system, his awareness of where to be. And he's got such a motor, too. So he's useful, not just in terms of getting in, getting involved on in the attack, but, you know, he can get back and cover. 
I mean, it's going to suck that he leaves for AFCON, but, you know, I'm happy he gets to represent his country. You can see how much that meant to him when he thought he had a serious injury, which thankfully does not appear to be that serious. Um, and I wonder if uh, if that was not, you know, if he wasn't about to go to AFCON, if they maybe would have left him on for a few minutes or, you know, if they would have taken him off as a precaution in any case. But, um, yeah, it was a really impressive performance. And I think taking him off and losing his ability to cover ground really hurt us, um, you know, for the next, like, 20, 30 minutes of the match. You know, it's really weird. I, I feel like we were sold at, at a certain point on on Oliver Skip being athletic. Like, we were like, oh, well, he's like Harry Winks, but if Harry Winks could move around. And that's not true. Like, what? <laughs> I how, how did we end up here with Oliver Skip? You know, the, the penis injury that sidelined him for a while, I think, you know, he can't run as well without that third leg. And <laughs> well, but look what happened with uh, Richarlison. Yeah, like, I was gonna say, you know, get him the like, Richarlison surgery. Like, yeah, well, <laughs> it's not worth spending that on, on Skip, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I'm I'm a little concerned about our midfield over the next month. But if Bentancourt is healthy, that takes a lot of the pressure off. Um, you know, hopefully, we're willing to use Hoyberg where we need to. I mean, we're not. I mean, it's what? Th- is it three, four matches in January? It's not like a ton and we actually do get some like I think we get like two weeks off at one point so yeah I mean and but there's some FA Cup matches and stuff in there and uh you know I, I don't know you you would just like to have more depth for any month really but uh at least this month we can potentially do something about our lack of depth yeah we really need Los also knock on wood to fucking stay healthy for a window when he has an opportunity to like really cement a role in the team, because you know, he had, he had just a segue real quick. He had a, a little uneven match, but like as the game went on, he grew into it and he just dominated most of that second half. And that's the kind of player that we've seen in flashes this season. And every time we see it, you know, two days later, it's like, Oh, Los Celso has a butt injury. He can't play. And then you're like, well, I guess we're fucked again. Uh, and then he comes back in time for like Madison to be healthy, and then we never see him again. So this is his moment, and he just God has to stay fit because it'll be good for him. It'll be good for us. And I don't care if Barcelona's sniffing around and want to pay a good chunk of change for him. We just can't vanish him from the team to keep him healthy enough for a sale. Like you know, Barca's right not now. gonna. I mean, Barca's is not gonna offer us enough money to make it worth our while. So I, I mean, I completely agree with you. I mean, the problem with Lo Celso is like. You know, with Bentoncourt, you're worried that, like, Matty Cash or someone is going to try to, like, end his career, and that's why he's going to miss time. With Lo Celso, the problem always seems to be he farted too hard and, like, pulls his hamstring and he's out for two months. Like, it's always, like, some incredibly minor thing that happens, like, in training usually, and then he just misses a ton of time. And, you know, but we really do need him at a minimum for the month of January, in fe- months of January and February, to just, like, be out there. But like Ben said, you can see the difference when he was out there pulling strings. I mean, his assist to Son for his for the second goal is I mean, that's one of the best passes you'll see all year. It was just incredible. Yeah, he hits that so well. What did, what did you so guys good. do at Batiste to keep him healthy? Chorizo? I don't, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure we could get that shipped in. Yeah, yeah, just just get get one of uh, Regulon's uh, like hams from his London apartment and just just give it to sell. So it's it's like cured now, right? Like yeah, it's just been fine sure. sitting in his apartment. Um, totally okay. 
Yeah, no, I don't, I don't know. Like, I mean, and he was a, I mean, he was an all action attacking midfielder um, in Spain. So, you know, it's not like he was, uh, you know, playing in, uh, you know, business casual Dracula's uh, boring system at, at Betis. He was, he was all over the place, but yeah, I don't know. It, it would be, it's really interesting because there's all these quotes that came out uh, about how much he likes it here and how much, you know, how good it is under Ange and how he's feeling at home. And, you know, I think the two things you take away from that are, you know, how much they actually like attacking as players and how much like the style of play might matter in terms of where you like it. But, you know, it's it's like, I'm such a sucker for this stuff. Like, it's so easy to make me be like, he's going to bleed for the shirt. He loves us. Maybe he'll sign an extension. And it's like, I don't know. Like, maybe maybe it'll be time to fuck him off for some money in the summer. But, like, no, you're here for the rest of the year, brother. Like, you got to knuckle down. And, it, like, honestly, I would like to, if this is what we can get out of him, if he can stay healthy, you know, it's like, I think we should keep him around. Because, like, you know, yeah. we need, clearly, like, you look at what's going on with Madison right now. You know, if we're in Europe next year, we're going to need more than one creative midfielder. You know, I mean, he's going to get minutes. He's going to get minutes. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm really happy to see him doing this for us. And it's really actually strange considering how thin we are on our back line, like how many injuries we need in our midfield or suspensions, injuries slash suspensions we need in our midfield to really get us in trouble because we are honestly pretty deep in midfield right now. Yeah, we just need guys that are actually good for this depth, you know. Or healthy, one or the other. Yeah. Um, do we want to talk about Richarlison scoring a goal again? Richarlison getting assisted by Brennan Johnson. That's the Ben Daniels dream right there. Hey, there's nothing like being proven right while being proven wrong. You know, it's <laughs> like... I'm happy for the goals. I'm happy it manifested in the exact same way I have said Brennan Johnson always does anything. So, you know, if it's going to pay off with a whole bunch of goals this season, great. I I will reassess my valuation of that one weird trick and still not have to move the needle on my opinion of Brennan Johnson. It, it is nice to get this, be getting this level of production out of Richarlson, especially with Son about to go to um asia it's just it's it's really like i i I did not think we were going to get anything resembling our money's worth out of him and it's really good right now he's playing really well yeah i mean after newcastle he scored two goals and we were like is this a new thing or is this just he scored two goals and since then it's been five goals in five games and you know he's on pace to score another 18 i guess over the course of the season and even so, even a goal like this, which you know it's our third goal, it put us up three 0 at the time. Like that goal kept it all real comfortable for the last like yeah, it was getting you know, dicey. Minutes. It was yeah. getting dicey, and then when they pulled one back, it's like oh boy, am I glad that we get back that yep. third? Yep, it should have yep. bagged a fourth if Brian Heal uh, was better, but you know, well, well he should have bagged. I mean, Charleston <laughs> should have bagged another one much earlier in the match, but you know, it's nice that he can miss that, and you don't feel like he was a total waste of space, like. It's just, you know, our depth is a little bit better in certain positions than I think we all thought it was going to be. Yeah. yeah. So, I'm you just, know... Oh, go ahead, Brian. I was just going to say, I'm happy he's scoring goals. Like Ben said, five and five. Like, that's that's great. Like, you know, I, I don't think any of us expect that of him, but if he's, you know, every other game, every third game, that's pretty great for us. Like, that's, that's good production. It's not Harry Kane, 
but you know we're, we're trying to replace him in the aggregate not uh you know we just need to find out if he can get on base and then and then we'll be fine how uh, worried are you about our fitness right now so worried yeah terrified i mean like look to go, like go zoom out on this game a little bit it's like the big picture of it like you said is a bit up and down, kind of dicey. It's not like a comprehensive, comfortable three-goal performance. It's just, it was a game that, you know, swung back and forth wildly and our chances went in and theirs did not. So it kind of looks better for us. And that's the kind of luck we've been riding for a while now. You know, our we haven't talked about a lot of like really comprehensive performances. Like they've been there. You know, Newcastle game was great. Uh, a couple other games have been great, but a lot of it has been we're making it work with this cobbled together team, and we're not really playing the same like ideal and system that we were kind of gelling together towards the beginning um, of the end uh, before Chelsea. But you know, it's we're still waiting for this team to really cohere in the way that it should. And every time we get a guy back, we see it get a little closer and then two more guys disappear and we're back to square one, you know, and then I, I just, you can tell that if this team stays healthy enough to get that first 11 on the pitch with any regularity, we're going to fucking cook. But right now we're just, spinning plates and it's kind of working out more often than not. I mean, that is one nice thing about guys like Benton and Madison and Van de Ven coming back. Like, obviously we're going to have to manage their minutes at first, but like to not re-injure them, but like they are fit. Like they don't have these miles on their legs when they come like in, in theory, after a couple games, like, you know, they should be able to like run around a lot. Meanwhile, the guy I'm really worried about, even though he, you know, looks like mini Cristiano Ronaldo is, is Pedro Poro, who I think has played almost every minute of this season. I mean, he has not been benched a lot and he is being very active. And, you know, there's guys like him that I just get concerned about. And it sucks for him because, you know, like you feel like if we'd, been, we'd had a healthier back line, for instance, you know, like he would have gotten spelled by Emerson Royale a couple times, whether that's late in matches or, you know, just gets you know, a game off here or there, but, you know, because we've had to use Emerson as a center back, basically, like that just doesn't happen. Yeah. He's really been our iron man this season. Well, Ryan, I think it's funny because we weren't even expecting him to start as our right back. Yes. And then he's wound up playing 95% of our premier league minutes this season. So uh, yeah, no, he's, he's, he plays a lot. But I mean, look, we're fortunate that we're not in Europe or and we crashed out of the League Cup early. And so, you know, he hasn't had to play. And his master of... plan. Yeah, exactly. Imagine if we had multiple competitions right now. Good oh, God. God. Like, can you imagine if we're, we were in Europe? Like, it's ugly. Ugh. Um, I think two other standout performances in this match, people who saved our bacon. Udogi, after like a couple less than ideal performances really put in a shift and probably single-handedly kept like Bournemouth out of the net for like 60 minutes there. Uh, yeah, just really impressive work from him. And I think it just deserves mention given, you know, I think he was a little dodgy the last couple times we've seen him. So it was, it, it's very good work from him. Yeah. yeah I thought he was, he was great. great. 
I don't know that he was. I mean, he got suspended a couple games ago. That was really the dodgy thing. Was don't, don't I feel get like his that games before coach. the suspension were kind of. Mm, but I don't know if that was because he was messing with the suspension. So maybe that was it. Yeah. And who else did you want to single out, Greg? Vicario, who we always single out. But again, I think I think this match really. I mean, it's crystallized. Like what do you, I, I think you know the definition of what makes a great keeper is. You know, beyond all the regular stuff they do, you know, they're making one save a match that they have no business making. I think, you know, that's how I would describe Allison, you know, certainly a guy like um, Courtois, like, and I think, you know, once a match, Vicario is doing something where it's like, oh, that should have been a goal. And he just keeps it out. And he did it again this way. It's just very, very good work. And he made even better by the fact that none of us expected anything out of him this year. So just great shit. Definitely. He's also like a, a, he has another key trait that, that all goalkeepers should have. And it's that he's a very underrated weirdo. Um, you oh, know, he's like, always tacky lock screen too, huh? Yep. Yep. I mean, <laughs> when you've got your own nickname, the, co- the comic book character that is the subject of your own nickname as your lock screen over, I don't know, your partner or your children or, you know, I, I it's just like, insane behavior to me um you know i i it's just wild i'll be honest i knew his nickname was venom but i never connected it to the i'm sorry i'm not a fucking huge nerd like you are oh yeah sorry (laughs) yeah i thought it was a reference to the italian uh horror film from 1977 yeah it's a great giallo yeah exactly well, like the blood spreads everywhere, so I know, thought it was just like him as a keeper spreading everywhere to stop the goals. Look, I, I'm sorry, I didn't know Italians had Venom comic books. <laughs> I don't know. Spider Man's the perfect Italian superhero. He's just you know with... just doing the web slinging and the yeah. Italian hand gestures. He lives with his mom. <laughs> like it's yeah. technically his aunt, but you know, oh, 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 okay. Thank, thank you, Brian. I didn't know. That was just nerd bait to get me to admit that I knew something about Spider-Man. I got fucking tricked by Greg. How does that make you feel? That's awful. Awful. <laughs> Worse than every Brennan Johnson goal. Got him. Uh, anyway, but yeah, no, Vicario, just great again. You know, really disappointing. Brian Cranston's not his lock screen. That would have been great. Um... But yeah, no, really, really good shit uh, from the team. I thought, honestly, overall, like, if you look at this performance, you know, I think it was a little bit better than just, like, a team hanging on and making do. Because I thought they did a really good job. And I think some of it was Borman just ran out of steam. But, you know, like, we came out, we kind of did what we've been doing for a few games. Came out like a house fire. Fell off. Let the other team in the game. Really held on by the skin of our teeth. And then, I think the difference is, unlike, say, the Everton game, um, I think we really clawed our way back into this one and really sort of reasserted control. Like, I mean, I understand those were counterattacking goals, but I do think Spurs kind of reasserted. I don't want to say dominance because that's too strong, but I think they did sort of reassert themselves in a way that I did think was impressive, that they didn't just like sort of hang on for dear life. They, they did sort of get control of the game back. And I, I thought that was impressive. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the counterattacking goals, and this is something I've, I saw chatter about on Twitter, and I'm sure you know Nathan covered on the extra inch. But so much of our play lately has been this kind of run and gun football, where we are very dangerous in the open field and getting the ball forward pretty quickly, but like 
we have very little control and it's coming back at us just as often. And it's just like, we do not seem to have the ability to just like take the heat out of a game and settle things down. Well, see, because Ange knows that the true beating heart of football is not possession or passing. It's guys who run really fucking fast. Like anyone who plays FIFA knows, you know, and that's what he wants. Like, like get down the pitch fast, guys. I mean, I think he's right. And to realize that in that kind of game, we are going to be the better team more often than not. Like, let it be open. Let it be end to end. Let Hungman's son and Brennan Johnson run fast. They're going to run faster than your guys. Um, You know, like we're, we're not good at standing off and playing defense. That's a thing we've learned under Jose and Conte and and now Ange, but like there's still a more possession oriented way of building attacks that slows the game down, leaves us less vulnerable and lets us cook that. Like once we have, you know, Madison and Bentecourt and Kuliszewski and all these guys on the pitch, like it's something that I hope will reassert itself, but like, this is a very loose style of football that scares the but, shit out of me. You know what? And, and I understand that. And I understand why a lot of managers be adverse to it. But you look at like, like Conte, you look at Mourinho. These are very experienced managers who have won a lot at a high level. And, you know, Ange has won a lot. But, you know, he's played at a comparatively lower level of, European, of, of world football. And, you know, what, what's kind of amazing to me, and I'm not sure I see this all that much at, at the high level of football, maybe because everyone's so cautious and playing so scared, but, like, I think there really is something to, you know, I mean, there's a limit to this, obviously, but I think there's something to, like, well, I don't have the bodies to, like, either just m- totally manage possession or lock down a defense. You know, I don't have, like, 2008 Chelsea to do either of those things or whatever. and you know what, it's probably going to be more productive and increase our chances of winning if we just keep trying to fucking score goals. And, you know, like, there's just probably is a higher percentage of victory there. Now, again, like, yeah, there's play a play real high-variance football. <laughs> you could do this to the point of, like, you know, suicidal abandon where you're just doing more harm than good, but I do that, think... That Chelsea. Spurs, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, well, I mean, that was also forced by circumstance, but, like, you know, there is, I think Spurs have done a fairly decent job of utilizing that to their benefit this year in terms of like, yeah, no, like Emerson Royale as a center back is not going to like hold it down for like 40 minutes. So you better keep trying to score goals. Right. You don't want to invite a lot of crosses for Ben Davis and Emerson to head away. If nothing else, you're, you're keeping the other team honest and they can't just like, you know, oh, we're going to recycle the ball every time we get it and nothing's going to happen at the other end of the pitch. Like, it's impressive, uh, and I thought this was like this was a better victory than say the Everton game. I thought, and you know, it was kind of of a piece in a certain way with the Brighton game, where we just like that game looked really out of sight, and you know, we didn't give up and almost sort of run our way back into it. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, yep. like Brighton, West Ham, those are games where that kind of approach got away from us, and. So far, we've, you know, rolled up more points than not. So who am I to say it's not working? I just know we can do more. Well, with when we got bodies back, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like playing a more possession control-based style when you've got, like, Madison <laughs> and Bentoncourt out there. Like, that might go a little better than what we've got right now. Yeah, basically all our good players on the ball. If they're available, then we are better when we have the ball. Yeah. Weird how that right. works. 
Sar played almost as many passes in 30 minutes as Skip did in like twice the time. Jesus Christ. Um, okay, speaking of team players we have on the team, I want to transition this to players who are either about to join or have left the team. Um, I want to give one last shout oh, out okay. to Alejo Valiz for being an absolute warrior and kind of a fucking idiot. <laughs> like, just go down. Like, I don't care if Burnman's yelling at you. If you are that hurt, please don't try to run it off. But God bless him for cementing a place in all of our hearts that day. And, you know, it's a real shame because it's coming off of... And that Brighton game was really weird by the time he got into it. But honestly, I thought he... Like, I... Again, I don't know if he's going to be a success at Tottenham. But in those, like, what, 10, 15 minutes he played against Brighton, whatever it was, like... Like, you kind of saw whatever the scouts were seeing. Like, you, you understood what they were thinking when we signed him. Like... It was more impressive than I was expecting out of him, especially in a game that seemed to go on. I mean, I know he scored a goal, but overall, I thought his level of play in that game was a lot higher than, you know, I was expecting at this point in his career um, at this level. So, you know, it's a shame. I hope he's not hurt for that long. It looked really bad, but. I mean, and we got to see uh, Angry Ange as a result of that, Um, like with him pointing in people's faces and stuff. And I, for one, terrified when dad is angry um can you you believe people argued he wasn't a big boy i mean like look at that like look like he would have broken iriola in half like i mean it's just like i mean he was the biggest of boys in that moment (laughs) yeah it's the coach though it's all it's it's just all of it like we've seen arsene banger wear all kinds of coats and it does not make him a big boy (laughs) he doesn't have like big boy energy though no he's he's got a big boy french guy energy (laughs) right and that was like, yeah, yeah. It was a really, it really sucked for the Lees, and it was really impressive from like everyone on the bench. You know, Brandon Johnson being the first guy off the bench who's not South American. You know, to start mixing it up with uh, the Bournemouth players. Just all, just you know, the vibes remain immaculate around this team. So we also, wish him a quick recovery. What are Bournemouth upset about in that situation? Like, yeah. this isn't time-wasting. Like, the man is obviously injured. Like, what are we talking about here? Like, you know, I, I just... they Whatever they were upset about is I, dumb. Yeah. Also, the way stoppage works now, like, you're going to get yes. that time back. That, time, might be stoppage time, that might be better for them, yeah. Yeah, stoppage time is fucking interminable. There were seven minutes in the first half, eight minutes in the second half. Like, we would have played all day if that's how long he was down for. So we wish him a quick recovery. Uh, let's move on to transfer news. Um, before we get to actual transfer news, which is really only one piece, but um, I want to talk about Hugo Lloris, who uh, announced this week that he was leaving for LAFC to an MLS. Uh, he is exiting the club. Uh, he had a nice uh, send-off during the game on Sunday. Uh, it was, I, I thought it was nice that you know one of these guys from the Pochettino era you know, actually got sort of a proper goodbye. Um, you know, Hugo played a very important role in that era. Um, you know, he's our club captain. Uh, and, you know, just like you know, Vertonghen uh, and and I think both Vertonghen and Alderweireld left during COVID. So it was kind of weird. Harry kind of left under cover of darkness and like, you know, a, a Zeppelin or whatever. Um, that motorcycle you know, from Charlie's office. Yeah, exactly. All, all under a Zeppelin. He was driving it with yeah. that. Um but, you know, it was. I feel like we really. I mean, Delhi sort of left under a, you know, sort of cloud of just like no one yeah. was really happy Everybody. with where things were. Walker yeah. Rose. Yep. I mean, Vert- I, so I think I'm, someone's probably going to bring up 
you know, some, someone I've forgotten, but Larissa felt like the first one to get a real proper send off. And it was, I think really nice for him in particular, because there was such a drop off on the pitch with us. And I don't think like he got hurt. I don't think that's entirely, you know, like, like it wasn't just him falling off a cliff. I mean, you know, the injuries, I don't think helped him, but you know, I mean, he's been a lot to the club and he's been a real stabilizing influence. And I know that, you know, like, a lot of Spurs fans have a lot of, and I'm not questioning it, a lot of affection for guys like Gomez and, um, you know, Brian. some of our other, yeah, some of our other <laughs> Specifically keepers. me, you're yeah. referring well, to me. Well, no, but there's a lot of Spurs fans who love Gomez, but like, you know, certainly after my first few years at the club, like following the club, it was like, you know, the stability of Larice was just crazy. Like we had a very good keeper for, you know, like, almost 500 matches. It was, it was crazy that he played here this long. I mean, he's a French number one. He was a captain of a world cup winning team. He did a great job at Spurs when he remembered to call a cab. I mean, he was just, you know, like, you know what you want out of a captain at the club and played really well. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, I know we talk, it's not like we don't talk about this enough, but it just reminded me about like sort of how sad it is that like that Pochettino team never had that, like, sort of apex moment of like, we're never going to think about them winning an FA cup or the European cup or a premier league or whatever. They never had that like big triumphal moment, you know, the, the victory parade or whatever. And that he was sort of the first one to get a proper goodbye. I mean, cause you think about it, like Harry Kane's legacy is going to be, I mean, unless he goes to like Chelsea or something, which I don't think he will, um, you know, his legacy is going to be fine, but like, you know, Pochettino's like, that's never going to be the same no matter what happens at Chelsea. I mean, it's, that's never going to be the same. Um, so seeing Hugo get like a proper release where there was some affection, there was a lot of affection for him. I thought it was a really impressive reception he got. And I'm, uh, he had a chance to say goodbye. It was just very nice. And it was something I didn't know I needed until I saw it. I'm very glad, you know, you mentioned all people like leaving under cover of darkness or whatever. I think if he had left this summer, I think it would have felt uglier, you know, because he had been bad because we were so bad and whatever, you know. I think having this six months of him not be around very much and us starting this new era so well and Vicario making the transition so seamlessly, it allows people to feel good yeah. about the what Hugo gave us and not resent him for how bad things ended um, through, you know, very little fault of his own. But it was nice that that stain was not part of his send-off and he was able to actually leave on good terms because usually when players leave it's because they either got too good and left you behind or got too bad and you're happy to see him go like it's hard to make a graceful exit um and yeah if anybody deserved it it's hugo is it is it appropriate that our french captain was the one who made the graceful exit (laughs) like i feel like that's a very like very continental very french thing to do like seems on the nose yeah 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 no, I mean, you know, look, he was he was great for the club and the time that he spent here. Um, you know, I don't think he was ever the best goalkeeper in the world, but he was definitely consistently in the the top five, top ten of best keepers in the world. We, I think, we felt like we really kind of lucked into him yeah. the summer that we signed him. Like people just hadn't been looking for keepers, and then the top ones had already moved and. You know, and he was the the next guy up, and 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 we were able to sign him. And, you know, he he's 
he was fantastic for us. And, and like you said, Greg, it's, you know, unfortunate that not just him, but that entire group of players didn't really get the, like you said, that triumphal moment, the the trophy or, or whatever, but, you know, he at least got that with France and winning the world cup and everything. And like, that was really cool for him. And it was really cool to say that we had the world cup winning captain as our, as our captain, like, you know, and, um, you know, I, I, it's the way the last couple seasons went was unfortunate and, you know, the injuries and everything. And, you know, I, I wish that he would have been able to play, you know, some sort of part, you know, at this season, um, you know, cause we did see, you know, Forster in the, the, uh, Carabao cup match. And like, I just wish that would have been Hugo instead, but like, I get it. Like his, just his, his skill with his feet is, is not there in the level that it needs to be for this system. And, uh, you know, I've, I'm, uh, hopefully he, he still regards, you know, his time here at Tottenham as having been great and he doesn't hold, hold any ill will or anything for how things kind of went the last year and a half. And, um, you know, certainly always welcome back at the stadium. Um, you know, I'm sure the fans love to see him and all that sort of stuff. I mean, this is, this is one of my hobby horses, but you know, think about what players are going to be remembered in what shirts. But it makes me very happy that Hugo Lloris is going to... No, it makes me very happy that Hugo Lloris... When people think of Hugo Lloris, if they don't think of him in a French shirt, they're going to think of him in a Tottenham shirt. And that's, you know, that's something that's good. Um, I, you know, you think about Hugo, I I just want to talk to you guys about, like, sort of what your standout memories of him are. Because, you know, I I think one of the interesting things about Hugo is he was just such a steady Eddie, which is kind of what you want as your keeper. It was just like, you know, you just didn't worry about it very much. You didn't think about it very much, um, even though he certainly had matches where he was very involved. But for me, I think the one that really sticks out, which is weird because I don't think he was very good at penalties, um, was his save, his Aubameyang save uh, in the, I think it was the 2019 season, um, when Aubameyang had a penalty against us sort of while we were in our run to the Champions League. And it was such a good save, and it was at such an important point in the match. And you know, it's a little strange that I'm thinking of that because, like I said, that's not penalties are generally not Hugo's forte. But uh, that's sort of, you know, if, if there's a play that Hugo was involved in, that's the one that sort of pops to mind. Uh, Brian, is there a Hugo moment that really jumps out at you when you think about his time? At I mean, he had a bunch of big penalty saves kind of around that time. I think doesn't he, he saves a penalty in the Champions League quarterfinal against City um, in that second match, I think. Oh. God, you're right. He did do that. I totally forgotten about that. So, you know, I think there was like a season or two there where he was actually like, you felt okay going into penalties because you were like, well, maybe he's going to get his hand on one of these. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think that's, you know, that whole Champions League run was that that's kind of my um, standout memories of him because he was just so good in all those games, um, which... Sounds weird when you think about what some of the score lines on those games were, but like we wouldn't have even had a chance to be in some of those games if he doesn't make some of the saves that he does. Um, and, and, and kind of, especially when we were playing without a midfield, playing without Harry Kane, like he was, he was the real consistent force in that team. Ben? Yeah, I don't know. Not not a moment per se. It's just, you know, you call him a steady Eddie. And it's just so funny that we brought him in and he was this like maniac sweeper keeper, you know, coming 30 yards out of his box to clean shit up and ended up being just like one of the best reaction shot, shot stoppers I've ever seen. Um, 
it's just just funny how his his career worked out and a guy who you thought you know well we're not doing the high line thing what what's he going to be and it turned out you know even better um but yeah i mean just just insane reflexes for a really long time his wrists were like so strong they must have been so strong yeah i feel like a lot of reflex keepers like kind of age out of that you know they either have to make up for it with better positioning and better box control or they just go the way of like Joe Hart and Iker Casillas and guys like that just, just suddenly collapse. And he managed to like maintain that for a very, very long time. Um, I think it's impressive. Like he was so, I don't want to say bad because that just seems mean, but he was not good, very good at distribution. And I think that speaks to how good a shot stopper he was or became that that didn't become a real drag on the team until sort of very late in his tenure here. Um, you know, that it didn't, um, because he was so good at keeping the ball out of the net and, you know, and he was just so calm about it. Like it just didn't feel, you know, he didn't have that sort of manic energy that you, that at least I associate with Aurelio Gomez, um, who was at least a little bit more, well, he was definitely a looser keeper, but you know, it was just like, it just feel, felt very reliable at the back for a very long time. I think kind of at his peak, like we we covered for a lot of his distribution mm-hmm. uh, deficiencies by having two of the best ball playing central defenders in Europe in Alderweireld and Vertonghen. Like they they were much more comfortable on the ball than he ever was, and uh, so but but yeah, it's it's a it's a very marked change to look at how we look under Vicario and how he is involved in distribution and actually the build up play and all that sort of stuff versus what Hugo was involved with and, and winding up opposition players. Yeah, one knock on Hugo was just not weird enough. Like goalkeeper should be weird, and he was. Too normal. Yeah, he I mean, weird he, facial structure, but other than that, like, yeah, just very boring guy. Yeah, I mean, the the weirdest thing about him was he liked wine, but he's French, so. <laughs> <laughs> so we all wish you the best. Uh, we wish him the best at LAFC. Uh, hopefully, we see him at White Hart Lane again in the semi near future. Let's talk about guys who might be coming in. I'm really impressed with this. Maybe not because of the quality of the player, but Spurs are addressing a need in the transfer window remarkably quickly. Uh, so we're recording this on Wednesday night in America. And uh, all week we have been linked to uh, Radu Dragoshin. I hope I'm pronouncing that correct. I apologize if I'm not. I'm sure I'll work it out eventually when I have to hear his name every week. No, um, you won't. No, you yeah, won't. no I won't. Um, you still can't si- do Udagi right. Whatever. Um, well, that's me trying too hard, at least. Uh, anyway, he's a center back in Genoa. Um, he has sort of been linked to us for a while. It seems like as our backup to Todibo um, at Nice. But it's what's, I think what's really impressive about this is we seem to just be reacting very fast to, you know, I mean, we need, I mean, we're playing, we talked about it all podcast. Um, you know, we're playing Emerson at center back. That's not something you want to keep doing if you can help it. Um, the fact that it sounds like he'll be here by the United game, um, you know, again, like it seems like we're pretty close. I'd be kind of shocked if this isn't wrapped up by early next week. Um, you know, I it, it's impressive. It's it's a sea change for Spurs. I don't, you know, and I don't know if that's just we realize we kind of left ourselves shorthanded in the summer, or we've really changed for Ange. Um, but it's impressive. I mean, the structure of it is what seems to be very different. It's like we clearly had a list of guys and there are a lot of names running 
uh, through the press and through ITK or whatever. And, you know, we saw the Todibo links come and get run down and it seemed clear that that wasn't going to work. And now here we are with this next guy. And, you know, we've, we've seen lately reports that he's Ange's first choice. He was always Ange's first choice. You know, we heard that about Vandeven. We've heard that about a lot of guys uh, as we've moved through our list of targets. But I, I don't know if it's true. I don't care if it's true. I like that that's the line that we put out and say, you know, especially after the Kulishevsky, Luis Diaz nonsense that we had to go through. I don't want to hear anyone like worried about the other guy we should have gotten, whatever. Like, fine. This is Angela's guy. This is who we want. And we're moving decisively for him. And great. That's That's it. The fact that we're moving and we're wrapping it up quickly is the important part. And it's what's interesting is it. I, I mean, I know Nathan Clark's talked about this on social media and on the extra inch, but like, I mean, I've watched them a few times in Serie because you know it's better than watching like Bournemouth play. You know, I don't know Brighton or whoever, but like, you know, the couple times I've watched Genoa, like, I mean, he's a big boy. He's physical like i mean they we clearly are we we are clearly making a we clearly have a have a uh target a type we clearly have a type yeah we've we got, got a type we've got yeah. a type that we're looking for in our center backs which is like you know, we want big physical guys who can move fast and those are all things he can do and i think what's I feel, really go ahead i, I was just saying i feel like we talk about this in slack a lot but i don't think we've ever really talked about this on the podcast about Pastacoglu being such like a an NFL combine manager. I love it. Manager. I love it. And like he's just like, what's their forty speed? How big are they? What's their vertical? Great. I don't care if you can play football. We'll sort that out later. <laughs> can you run fast? Can you move? What's what? How quick is your first step? Let's let's get these things out of the way. I mean, he is. I mean, he's physical. Like, I mean, it's not like Vertong or not Vertong. It's not like Outerbile, who's like where he's just a monster, but like. You know, I mean, he is a specimen and it's, you know, and I think it's like the right level of guy you should be targeting as sort of your third choice center back where it's like, you know, he's good enough that he's got an opportunity if he believes in himself to like, oh, maybe I can assert myself as one of your two best center backs. But also he's not walking into the club being like, why am I fucking behind these two losers? You know, it's not, you know, whereas like, I'm not, you know, casting any aspersions on Todibo, but like, you know, that's a guy who might think like, yeah, I could start for a Premier League club. Why am I backing up people at Spurs? Even with, you know, oh, well, there's going to be lots of opportunities because Romero gets suspended every three weeks and, you know, Spurs are going to be in Europe next year. Da, 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 da. Like, you know, it's it does sort of, you know, this center back really does fit what we'd be looking for. Like, I, like you don't feel like you're going to have to worry about managing anything here. Yeah, I mean, I think he he, like you said, he's our type. The big, fast, strong. Um, I think one of the interesting things about him is he actually seems to be quite the aerial presence, which I think for our current crop of center backs, none of them really are. I mean, Van de Ven weirdly is big and fast, and he just not that great of a header of the ball. Not not you know not that great on set pieces, that sort of thing. And um, yeah, this guy uh, he gets up there. And and he wins headers and he's strong and like, I, I mean, I, I'm interested to see what he we can do with him on on set pieces. Uh, it would be uh, it would be a nice added threat for us. Yeah, so I don't know a lot about his game, but beyond 
you know, I, I don't watch Genoa. I watch Bournemouth play Brighton uh, because uh, that's the kind of guy I am. But well, you, you're in like 15 like fantasy leagues, so like that's look, it's very important to keep track of you know which Burnmouth winger is going to start this week, so you can move on the waiver wire for Luis Sinistera, where Antoine Semenyo is going off to Afcon. How are you like the world's <laughs> most degenerate gambler, and you don't actually gamble? Like, hey, there's very little money on on this. Exactly, league. <laughs> that's my point. Like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Anyway. The thing that I keep hearing about Dragosheen is that he is not a particularly high volume, progressive passer distribution guy. And yeah, as much as like the, you know, the speed and strength and stuff is like clearly Ange's remit for a center back, having guys who can pass out of that back line has also been very important. And so, do you guys know anything that I don't know about? what he can do or the only thing I can say is I think that's like, clearly he is like, he is not an exceptional passer. I think that's clear when you watch him. The thing I would say is he plays on Genoa and that's not how they play. Um, that's, you know, it's like, it's not something he's asked to do. It's not something they generally need him to do. It's like, I don't know. It, it, it's, I, I'll be interested to see how he functions at Spurs because it's not something he's being asked to do a lot there. That's the only thing I can say about that. Sure, we'll go with that. But it still could be a problem. Like, I mean, that he's not asked to do it doesn't mean he can do it. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing with, like, Benjamin Juventus, right? It was like he was only playing as a very limited kind of six and lo and behold, he has a lot more passing in his locker than he ever had the opportunity to demonstrate. So I'm going to just believe that we just did that again. And it's fine. It'll be, I'm, I'm very curious to see how he integrates into this team. Cause we also have enough, at least when we're healthy, we have enough good midfielders that if it's just like, Oh, you can win balls and like get in the way of stuff and like, like give it to Sar, give it to Bentancourt and like, just get back on your back line. You know, I mean, certainly I think tracking back is not going to be a problem for him, <laughs> at least from the, the couple of games I've watched him in. Yeah, I mean, look, we play Emerson in defense, so like we don't—he don't need to be a great passer, um, you know. So I, you know, I, I think we all had questions about how a lot of our players would do in a system where we were going to be more ball dominant, and so far we've been pretty pleasantly surprised with everybody, um, you know, from Vicario to Pedro Poro and Udogi and everything. So, I, I mean. If I have faith in any manager to figure out what this guy does and how to make him do what needs to be done well to do it, I it's it's Ange. Yeah, totally. He's earned the benefit of the doubt so many times over. Even our worst signings have been very good. And if this is a profile, the kind of guy he wants, then I'm sure he knows that it'll work. How do you guys feel uh, switching transfer topics um because there is one and it's a little hard to tell how much this is just lazy transfer bullshit and how much it's real we keep getting linked to uh jota uh, celtic jota uh who is like wanted to peace out of saudi arabia about the second he got there so um well they didn't I, even register him in saudi arabia yeah, though, right? like literally the second he got there he was like no not for me thanks so we keep getting linked to him and it's hard to tell if this is real if this is an agent or we're just keeping our options open how do you guys feel about him as a target? Brian? 
I mean, I'm okay if it's like a quick and dirty, like six months loan with an option to buy. Like, I, I, there's no downside to that for me. I mean, it's a player that knows the system and is, I don't think he's better than, you know, our top three or four guys, but if he's the fifth attacker and you have to roll with him sometimes, I think that's much better than Manor Solomon and Brian Heal. So, uh, you know, I, I think that's okay. But like, if we're talking about us stumping up real money for him, uh, then no, but, but like I said, easy loan with a, with only an option to buy. Yeah. Why not get him in here? Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think he has played at a high enough level to be an obvious candidate to spend money on, you know, even though Ange knows him from their time together, I would like to see us search out a, a real star upside winger uh, forward to complete that front line. And, you know, just keep Joda in our back pocket. And if nothing manifests or looks like it's going to manifest, then just pull the trigger, bring him in on loan, see what he can do. Cause you're right. Like he's definitely going to be better than Brian Heal and mayor Solomon, you know, son's going to be gone for a little while. Anyway, we could use a body. I think I mean, I'm, I'm again, assuming that you're not committing yourself to some sort of massive financial um, right. <laughs> you know, commitment, uh, you know, it's, it's, I, I'd be very happy to see him taking Solomon or, I mean, especially Brian Heal's minutes. I think I've got a little more faith in him than either of those two, which right. might be and misplaced, also- but yeah, if it's like in lieu of like a real impact signing, no, I don't want that, but I don't think that's what this is. I think I don't, it sounds like we're not going to do it if it's not sort of financially advisable, if that makes sense. Right. And it'd be nice to have someone who doesn't just take Brian Heels minutes, but is a reasonable upside attacker that mm-hmm. you can feel comfortable subbing a guy out on 60 minutes to bring him in because, you know, you can rest some legs and get some fresh, fresh ones out there. And a guy who you don't think is going to like let the whole system down. And the way that like lately it's like every sub is late because no one's really that good. And, you know, we're getting very frustrated with his substitutions, but the quality of our subs have been poor. And as a result, everyone's getting run into the ground. So a reasonable I, sub in the attack is going to be good. I trust Ange on this one. Like if he thinks Joe is good enough for the premier league and we want to take a punt, fine. Like, I mean, if he thinks like I'd rather put him in there than Brian heel. Okay. Like, you know, this is going to make the transfer window so boring. If every guy we get linked with, we're like, well, Ange knows what he's doing. I want, who am I to say? <laughs> you know, who, you know, you really want to question dad? Like, I mean, I don't. So, uh, um, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, um, it'll be interesting because I, I, it's hard to tell if these links are real or not. Um, but you, you have to think that we can get him relatively cheaply if he's just not willing to play in Saudi Arabia. So, um, you know, we'll see. Um, moving on out of the transfer window, I just want to take a minute before we get to the questions from our listeners. Um, 2023 is just, like I said a couple times, this has been a fucking crazy year for Tottenham Hotspur. I mean, going from, I don't know. And I mean, this podcast is podcasted across some like pretty depressing times in the last couple of years. I don't know if I've ever been as down as a Spurs fan as I was at the end of last year, or at least like, you know. April of last year, whenever the hell we played Newcastle. And then you compare that to where we were just in August, let alone now. I mean, it's just been fucking insane. Um, ben, I'll start with you. Just, I mean, 
what was 2023 like for you as a Spurs fan? Well, I mean, the beginning of it was horrible. It's funny, the beginning of it, we were kind of like sitting about the same position in the table, if not better, feeling like, okay, things haven't quite clicked. Maybe it'll work. Um, without nearly the same sense of goodwill and positivity, it was just like a hope and a prayer that something would like just magically click in place. And uh, yeah, the rest of that season was just wildly depressing and i did not want to come into this podcast every week and talk about that fucking team it was well, i'm glad it was the team and not us but yeah you know it's about 60 40 <laughs> thanks uh, which 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 is which which is which you guys i'll let you guys figure that out uh but yeah i mean we went through a tricky you know rebuilding period of who's the manager going to be what's a director of football going to be where the process seemed like it was getting away from us a lot of people had a lot of opinions about who our manager should be or whatever um you know i notably believed in Ange from the very beginning unlike some people but uh, <laughs> what, what are you making faces for you saying that's not true <laughs> i'm saying it, yeah that's yeah i'm saying there's a little there was a little doubt there i don't think i don't think i ever doubted uh <laughs> But yeah, I mean, once that happened, it's just like once we started just like watching videos of Ange talking, it was just like things are going to be good. And it has been good ever since. And the level of, I think, just like unshakable faith we have all put in this man will surely never hurt us. But it is really remarkable to have manifested so quickly. It's been a while since we've all been this like all in on a coach. I mean, 2019 really, or 2020, I guess. But, you know, it's just been, it's incredible. I don't think we realized, certainly I didn't, how much we needed someone who could be like a therapist for us. Like, like I think, you know, like I've even forgotten a sergeant slot. Like, you know, he probably would be a good manager, but like, I don't think he would have all given us sort of the emotional sustenance we've gotten from Ange. Um, but Brian, I mean, 2023 for you as a Spurs fan. Yeah, I mean, it was the the winter of uh of 2023, um I guess January, February. Um that's like probably like the lowest I f- think we've all collectively felt. Um you know, you had Conte melting down on us. You had, you know, questioning like not only just the players that he had at his disposal, but like the club as a whole and which look, we knew was coming, I guess, but we, we thought maybe we had a couple more seasons before that happened. And it, and and just the way we kind of slumped to the finish line that year, it was, um, it it certainly made you question what the long-term future was going to look like. And then uh, like Ben said, you have a guy comes in and his introductory press conference, you're like, Oh shit. All right. This is going to be fun. And, you know, and, and, you know, look, it helped that we started off hot and we had a great run and, you know, we carried some momentum through and we're, we're in a good position now. And, um, but yeah, I, I don't think we've ever had, you know, a year, a calendar year where there was such a night and day difference between the way we finished the prior season, and the way we started the next season. Like, it's just absolutely insane. Um, and, and now to, to, to be able to roll with setbacks, to be able to roll with bad games, like, look, we, we would have been depressed about a result like Brighton or West Ham 
and been bitching and moaning about it for months afterward. And instead, we just kind of all, you know, you know, sweep it aside and move on to the next one. We lost 4-1 to Mauricio Pochettino's Chelsea. And if you just isolated, if you told me in like August, this is what's going to happen in this game. I would have thought that I was going to be having like a fucking months long meltdown. I wouldn't be able to let go of this game. You know, like I mean, I I remember, you know, AVB, obviously a lot of water had gone on the bridge at that point. But, you know, how he sort of capitulated Liverpool really, you know, um, turned me against him. My point is, like, we all left. We, we lost 4-1 to Mauricio Pochino's Chelsea. And we all felt better about the team at the end of the game than we did at the beginning of it, which is an insane thing to say. And I think that just demonstrates just how quickly we all bought in to Postacoglu. And I think Brian's right. Like, you know, we just brush off these losses that would like have fucking demoralize the shit out of us, you know, a year ago when it was just all about results. <clears throat> I think the thing for me is, you know, obviously it's been an up and down year, but like, you know, I really thought the feeling that we had under Pochettino was something I'd be chasing for years. Um, you know, just that all sort that sort of buy-in, that sort of like connection we have with the club, and it just it happened immediately. We sold our best player. I think that's easily easy. easy forget we we sold probably the best player we're ever going to see in a Spurs shirt for people of our generation, and certainly for a long time. And we didn't miss a beat. I mean, we're all feeling great about this club. Like Ben said, like we bought in remarkably quickly. I remember, I think it was the day we announced we sold Harry Kane the club put out like a hype video and there's like shots of Ange with his like arms crossed and, you know, panning camera angles and the team working out. And I just remember being incredibly excited for the team watching that, which is an insane thing to say. Like, you know, we just hired Celtics manager who is like, that's his first job in Europe. And we sold our best ever goal scorer, you know, like after that year we just had under Conte, we're fucking everybody on this team look like dog shit. And I was excited going into the season. That was before we played a game. Because, like, in the preseason, everything that, like, from a narrative perspective, you know, every time, like, someone brought up Harry Kane or every time someone uh, talked about, like, oh, is LaCelso going to get transferred? You know, it was like watching bullets bounce off of Superman when they talked to Ange about it. He was just, like, handling it easy. There was no drama. It was just incredibly impressive. And then when you combine that with the sort of scintillating football um, that we got, I mean, I don't want to get too de- – deep into it, but the week I had a very rough personal week, the week of the Sheffield United game. And, you know, when we came back and won that game. Like, I mean, that's, that's, you know, that was like the best I'd felt in forever when we won that. And it was just like, I hadn't felt that around Spurs in, you know, a very long time. And it's just been like a revelation that I could feel this way under another manager so quickly. Cause I just thought, Special under Conte, which, you know, we enjoyed periods under Conte. We didn't enjoy anything under Mourinho. But, you know, I just thought we'd be chasing that dragon for years and years to get something like what we felt under Pochettino. And, you know, here we are. Like, we're – I don't know if I've ever been this optimistic about this Spurs team. I'm sure I was under at points under Pochettino. But it just – it's happened so quick, so fast, without a guy like Harry Kane. It's just – it's remarkable. And we got in here after, you know, to do it in the same calendar year as – um you know, just like the nadir of my fandom as a sport, as a Spurs fan, it's just incredible. And it's, you know, I think it really, I, I think Ange deserves credit. I think the club deserves a lot of credit for, I know he was our second choice, but even our first choice was a bit of a leap. Like I think Spurs deserve a lot of credit for going a little off book in what they look to do after Conte. Like, 
I mean, it's a really impressive turnaround from the club um, in terms of how we all feel, how we connect with the club. For Ben, for Brian, and of course, for our, uh, Brett Rainbow, I've been your host, Greg. Uh, come on, you Spurs, and enjoy your lunch.